Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I just have this, this phrase in my head. Um, in your life, is Christ present? Is he prominent? Or is he preeminent? In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, The goal of history, God's goal for creation, is that in all things he might have the preeminence. How many of you know that when something is preeminent, it's over everything? There is not one area, one arena, one part of life, one part of creation, one part of God's plan where Jesus is not exalted and preeminent. You know, we sang that worship song and we do exalt Him in worship. But think about every area of life. Is He exalted? See, God wants Him exalted over the nations. He's not exalted over the nations yet. I mean, He is in heaven, but I mean, in terms of now, in terms of God's plan and purpose, we're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's a process of Jesus where in our time, and in our nation and in our lives, we're catching up with heaven's reality. In heaven, He is over everything. He is crowned. He is exalted. He is far above principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, every name that can be named, that which is present, that which is to come. Jesus above it all in Ephesians chapter 1. But what about us? Where are we? You're in Exodus 33, 14, it says that, that Moses would not move without God's presence. And God's presence is important. In Isaiah 41, he says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's God's presence is something that he's promised us. We talked about that last week. We need a sense of God's presence. God's presence is what gives us assurance. But I I know people who, who... in a way, they enjoy God's presence and then they go out from his presence. You know, it talks about Jonah, how he went out from the presence of the Lord. And, and he went his own way. He, he, he kind of was wrestling with something in his life. God's presence is good. But in the book of John, in chapter 12, verse 42, it says this. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. How many of you know that's a good thing? Many believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You see, Jesus was present in their life, but he was not prominent in their life. Something else was more prominent, the praise of men. 
You see, it's possible to be a believer this morning, to be a follower of Jesus in a sense, to have him present in your life, to be saved, to know that you're a Christian, to know that you've made that commitment, but Jesus is just not prominent. There's something else that takes priority. And for these group of men, they believed, but they were afraid. There was an area of their life where the praise of men, what people thought about them was more important to them than what God thought about them, so they wouldn't confess Jesus. They wouldn't make an alignment with something that was potentially embarrassing, that was potentially going to exclude them from an arena of life they'd invested a lot of time and energy and money to be part of. And sometimes in life, you know, you can have Jesus present in your life, but is he prominent? Just think about the areas of relationships. It's such a big thing in life, isn't it, relationships? You know, it's so funny, you know, I've been through a lot of um, interesting journeys with my kids when it comes to relationships. I remember one of our daughters, you know, she was dating a non-Christian guy. I said, what are you doing that for? She said, I'm I'm gonna flirt to convert. (laughs) It sounds good, but it's not great theology. (laughs) But but in that that situation in life, often what, what we're wrestling with is the whole issue of, is Jesus gonna be prominent? What, what kind of priority will we give him in areas of life? What about finances? You know, when it comes to money, will Jesus be prominent? You know, when something is prominent, it stands out. You know, if you look at the Christchurch skyline, there's not many buildings that are prominent now. But there is a few. And there's a few more going up. But when something is prominent, it stands out. And Jesus, in your life, he wants to stand out. So in your area of finance, does Jesus stand out? In your area of relationships, is it Jesus that stands out? In the way you study, in your commitment to church, what is it that stands out? When people look at your life, what do they say about your life? What stands out about your life when people encounter you? You know, sometimes I think we've got Christians who are like MI5 agents. MI5 is the secret service in Britain. I don't know what you call it here in New Zealand. Uh, But we had a whole TV show called Spooks, which was brilliant. They had to change the name of that in America because apparently that's a bad word over there. But it's called Spooks in the UK. And it's all about secret agents. And it's all about they have these secret identities. They're just ordinary people with these secret identities. I sometimes feel like Christians are like that. They got this secret identity. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Don't tell anybody. It's just not prominent. It's real, it's there, but it's like there's there's the Sunday event and then there's how they behave on Monday. I remember there was a lady in a church that I was part of who ran her own business. And uh, she said, oh, can you recruit people from the church to work for me? And I said, sure. You know, I was encouraging all these people to go and work for her. And she was terrible. She was terrible. She was using the F word every day, the F bomb, and it wasn't fellowship. She was, <laughs> she was just, you know, her whole attitude, her whole way of being had nothing to do with Christianity, had nothing to do with the kingdom. The way she behaved on Monday was totally different to the way she was on Sunday. Jesus was not prominent in her life. But she loved, you know, coming to church. She loved worship. She loved the presence of God. She knew how to talk the way Christians talk on Sunday. She just didn't, couldn't translate that to Monday. 
there was, a, there was a shift that took place and somehow she couldn't translate what God was wanting to, her to encounter. And these Pharisees were like that. They were, there, there was no boldness to witness for Jesus. There was no identification with him and with his mission. It's like faith under wraps. You know, Paul said this in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then when he wrote to Timothy, he said to him, don't be ashamed of me. Don't, don't just be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me because I'm the Lord's prisoner. And at that time, when Paul went into prison, you know, if you knew Paul, it was like, let's create a little distance here. Because if they investigated him, maybe they're going to investigate you. And sometimes in life, God will allow things, set up things to see, well, what will you do? What will your attitude be? Will you allow Jesus to continue to stay prominent? Or are you going to take a step back, you know? Paul says, you have to take a stand. There has to be a boldness. Don't be ashamed. If I was to translate that to say, I'd say, don't be embarrassed. Because shame is all about embarrassment. And uh, you, you have to sometimes get over your embarrassment. You have to get over the potential shame. I love what it says about Jesus in the book of Hebrews. It says, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Hey, listen, have you ever been part of a family where you've got an embarrassing family member? I'm that person in our family. <laughs> but have you ever had a family where you have an embarrassing member of the family? It's like you really don't want to own them. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, it may be an uncle, it may be a cousin, but when they show up, it's like everything goes a little crazy. They're just a bit weird. They're part of the family. But listen, every family in this room has one of those people. You're looking at me funny now, like I'm the only one. Every single one of you has one of those people. Thank you. Finally. You know, and, and we get a bit embarrassed sometimes by their behavior or the things that they say. And, and Jesus is not embarrassed by you. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. He knows how to love us unconditionally. <clears throat> to have Christ prominent is to make him known unashamedly. When something is prominent, it's noticed by everybody. You know Mordecai in the book of Esther, it says he was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces. He became more and more powerful. You see, prominence will always increase your sphere of influence. So when you allow Jesus to be prominent, what you're doing is allowing Jesus to increase your sphere of influence. We've got, to, we've got to transition from being people who just celebrate the presence of God to people who allow him to be prominent through the way we live and through the words we speak. He's got to be prominent. You have to speak up. You know, Paul, when he wrote towards the end of his life to Timothy, he wrote these words. He said, at my last defense, nobody stood with me. But the Lord stood with me and delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. When you think of the thousands of people that Paul led to Christ and of the hundreds of people that he discipled into leadership, it's an astonishing statement to read that. Hey, what are you like under pressure? What are you like under pressure? What, what are you like when things in your life get threatened? 
potentially taken away from you? What do you like then? Do you back away like 50 miles an hour? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I used to go to that church, you know. Or are you somebody who goes through the storm? Are you somebody who stays loyal? Are you somebody who, who has courage? Because Jesus doesn't back away. Even when we're in our mess, he doesn't back away. He encourages us to keep following, to keep going forward. I love this about Joseph of Arimathea. It says he was a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. And he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Isn't that amazing? When everyone else was scattered and running away from Jesus, he went to Pilate and he said, I want that man's body. He wasn't afraid to be associated with Jesus. He wasn't afraid to be prominent. He wasn't afraid to stand out because as somebody who was one of the religious leaders of the day, he understood what it meant to have Jesus prominent. And he stood out. He didn't just want Jesus present in his life. He was bold. He wanted him prominent. But I think there's another level here. Another level that Colossians speaks of, a level that, you know, every single one of us wrestle with. And that's about having Jesus preeminent. Do you know, I remember when I was 20 years of age, I went off to Manchester University to study civil engineering. God wasn't really part of my life at that time. I was far away from him. But at the age of 22, I had an encounter. And when I had that encounter, it shook my world because it was all about where will I allow Jesus to be? Jesus had been in my life and part of my life, but he certainly wasn't prominent and he definitely wasn't preeminent. And I remember after that encounter, I made some decisions. I want Jesus to be the one who is prominent in my life. And, and I began to make a different set of decisions and it led me to leave university and go to Bible college. And you know what was amazing to me was how many Christians reacted to that like I was doing something wrong. Like, like if I had said to them, you know, oh, oh, I went out and got drunk. You know, it was like, it was like this was worse than that because I was leaving my studies. I, I, I can't tell you how many people, I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, but in, in the UK, university and study is like an idol. It's like an idol. Now, I'm, don't get me wrong. All of my kids have got degrees. Three of them have got master's degrees. It's a miracle, really, considering me. But, but I'm not against qualifications. I'm not speaking against that. I'm speaking against what you think that will give you. And, and so in this situation, I remember leaving university and going to Bible college and Jesus started to become noticeably prominent in my decision making. People said, why are you doing that? And I said, because of Jesus, because I'm following Jesus. And that's what they started reacting to. It's like, well, when you were a Christian, you were still doing this and still doing that. We could tolerate you, but now you're doing this. You're actually threatening us. You're actually threatening our choices. You're actually doing something that makes us reflect on the way we're living and we feel uncomfortable with that. That's what was going on. You know, and, and then after a period of time, uh, it, was like, it was like God was saying, I, I want you to go further. I want you to go further. And, and my journey has been one, not just of Jesus being prominent, but Jesus being preeminent. It's like every area of life, 
it has to go on the altar. If, you, if you're a successful businessman, it has to go on the altar. There has to be a cross in your business. There has to be a place in your business where you don't operate the way the world operates, the way Exxon operates, or some of these other companies that go bankrupt and they swindle tax and they do stuff. Your business has to be different because Jesus wants to be preeminent in your business. Jesus wants to be preeminent in your relationships. He wants to be preeminent in your study. You know, we have a whole group of university students, about 40 university students in our church back home. And we've got testimonies of different students who said, I've decided Jesus will be preeminent and therefore on Sunday I won't study, I'm going to go to church. And I won't just go once, I'm going to go twice because there's two services. And we have testimonies of students where other students said, oh, no, 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 I'm under pressure. I've got to study. I've got exams. And we've got students who said, no, 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 I'm going to go and worship. And the students who went to worship got first-class honors degrees. And the Christians who said, no, 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 I need to study and compromise didn't. And I said, don't you see there's a story here? There's a pattern here? And you see, under pressure, we can easily cave in. Under pressure, we can always choose a way where it's us leaning on the flesh. It's us leaning on our own understanding in Proverbs 3. But to trust in the Lord with all your heart is to dare to make choices where Jesus becomes preeminent. First, number one, over that, you surrender it to him. You have to do that with every area of your life. You have to do that with your finances. You know, there comes a point, I, I think the test in finance is, is, is not the tithe. That's not the test. That's a test of something, giving 10%. It's a test of something. It's, the test is give all. Hello? And, and here's the thing. You can't give all every week, can you? Because the week you give all, that's it. (laughs) But if you live your entire Christian life and you die and there's never one time where you just gave all, I reckon you missed it. Hello? Now, I'm I'm not saying... You have to. But I'm saying there comes a point where when Jesus is preeminent, that when he dares to ask you, you dare to do it. And it's not like Jesus is going to ask you every week. There's going to be a moment. There's going to be a moment. I have a friend of mine who's a very successful businessman. And the Lord said to him, I'm going to help you make a whole lot of money. And he said, within... 12 months you're going to become a millionaire I'm going to help you make a whole lot of money but you have to obey me when I speak to you he said okay Lord that'll be great he made his first million pounds he said Lord now what do you want me to do with that the Lord said well I'm going to make you a multi-millionaire now but you have to sow your first million I want it all a hundred percent Hello. And he was wrestling. Jesus was prominent. But the wrestle was, would he be preeminent? So he sowed the million. 
And he thought, now that I've obeyed God, he's really going to bless me and honour me. Do you know he had the seven worst financial years of his life after that? You see, you'd have thought Joseph, running away from Potiphar's wife, you'd have thought, God's really going to bless him now. He's really going to honour him now. That was, that was making Jesus preeminent. He wasn't compromising. He kept his integrity. He ran away. He had two more years in a dungeon. And you see, if you make the equation that blessing follows obedience, that's a true equation, but it could take a little bit of time. He had the seven worst years. I said, what was it like those seven years? He said, I was learning lessons. I was learning lessons. Now, now he is in the process of making billion dollar deals. And he's in our church. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Isn't it great to have someone in your church who doesn't just believe in giving 10%? <laughs> Preeminent. Preeminent. Where in your life, come on, where in your life do you need to wrestle a little? Where in your life do you need to ask yourself, Jesus, where are you preeminent? Let me, let me say this to you. If you can't let it go, that's your idol. If you can't let it go, that's your idol. In here, in your heart. If you can't let it go, that's where your idol is. You see, education in my family was an idol. So God said to me, let it go. But then when I became 38, told me to go back to university. Why? Because the idol had died and toppled by then. It was cut down. God said, now I can trust you to do a degree. It isn't an idol. You're doing it for me. You're doing it for my glory. You're doing it for my kingdom. What are you doing it for? Let me tell you, the happiest relationships you'll ever have in your life are the relationships you pursue for the glory of God's kingdom. They'll be the best relationships. The, the, the relationships you pursue to meet your unmet needs will lead to disaster. Because what will happen is, it'll be meeting your unmet need and then you will grow and you will mature and you'll look at that person and say, why the heck am I with them? Because you will grow and mature and grow out of that need. Do you get it? So, so never, never hook up with somebody out of your need Hook, out of, hook up with somebody out of your contentment. Out of a place of peace. Do you get this? That is making Jesus Christ preeminent. 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 There was a, a guy who came to our church one time. I just found his letter, actually. Um, he, was a, he was an unbeliever. Um, and he was... He was consulting next door with a company right next door to where we have our coffee shop um, and every day because he was a consultant he was coming in he was drinking coffee and then eventually he got converted and he wrote this letter he, he, he wrote this letter to one of my associate pastors who's Mark he says hi Mark hope you're well with family and church and I hope your wife has managed to find the job that she loves firstly let me say thank you you guys really supported me to understand not just with my head but with my spirit, who Jesus is. I remember the first time I discovered the coffee shop, something hit me as I went in, and I, re I remember struggling not to cry. I can reflect back now, and I know that it was the Spirit of God that met me in that place. 
Whenever I was working in Chertsey, I couldn't wait to come and get my morning coffee and then my afternoon coffee, and if time, another afternoon coffee. (laughs) To be honest, it was never about the coffee. (laughs) It was always about coming to the place where I could feel that thing, which I now know is his presence. You guys faithfully gave time to talk with me and invite me to your Sunday mornings. And on the second Sunday, I joined you guys and I knew I had to commit my life, my heart, my will and my everything to God. It was an amazing experience coming running into the arms of Father God. I had become so self-reliant, hard-hearted and skeptical of God and his church. But the presence of God was sufficient to melt my heart, break my pride and my own efforts and to heal my brokenness. I know that I wasn't with you for very long. He had to move away. But through the Spirit of God, your faithfulness, kindness and obedience had a radical impact on my life. My wife, Sarah, who has always been a Christian since she was a small girl, and I have an active part to play in our local church. I feel blessed every day because I found a treasure that is priceless. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, we can give God a... Listen, it begins by encountering his presence. But, but the whole point of encounter is an encounter is there to lead you to explore. You, you encounter something and then you explore it with your mind. That's part of loving God with your mind. But once you explore, then you engage. You commit. Then you say, now I'm going to get involved. Every single person goes through that process in life. You encounter, you explore, you engage. And at any point, you can jump out of the process. You can have an encounter and walk away from it, and you've just had an encounter. You just, oh, yeah, I went to that church. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, the speaker was great. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, I got a prophecy. You have an encounter. But if you don't translate that encounter into exploring, God, what are you now saying to me? Why did I have that experience? What, what significance does it have? What changes do you want me to make? How does my life have to be different since this encounter? You have to use your mind in order to do that. You have to pray. You have to think. You have to ask questions. But after you explore, the idea is that you engage. Listen, you explore with your mind, but you engage with your heart. You engage and you say, yeah, I'm going to go down this road. I'm going to go on this journey. And for me, it's been a challenge, you know, just living life in a way where Jesus always has the preeminence. Because most of us can be seduced by different things in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All those things are there to try and keep you in a place that is less than God's best and God's highest for you. And you know, when I was in Denmark, I was a successful lecturer in a Bible college. I had tenure. You know what tenure means? It's a job for life. They they say, as long as you want to stay here, you got the job. There was the house, there was the pension, there was everything. And God challenged me to walk away from it because he wanted the preeminence. He wanted the preeminence. Listen, I just want to encourage you, never settle for something less than God's best for you. Don't settle for something less. You know, what you have might be good, but here's the problem. The good is often the thief of the great. It's never the bad that's the thief of the great. It's the good. 
And God wants us often to go from good to great. Well, the only way you can do that is just ask yourself, is, am I allowing to be preeminent on all things? And you know what? I get it's a journey. I get it's a journey. But here's the invitation from Jesus. Follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. In John chapter 6, many went back and followed him no more. Their words offended him. Their words, they couldn't, the, the words of Jesus were not something they could take into their heart. They went back. They just said, okay, that's enough now. And, and any one of us can get offended at any time. But I want to encourage you, get over your offense. Get over yourself. Let me tell you a lovely story that I do have permission to tell. We have a girl uh, who was in our Bible college. She was my personal assistant for a year. And then she was a missionary for three or four years in uh, Romania. And she ended up coming to be in our church in London. And when she was with our church in London, my wife and I were talking about her one day. And, she, and my wife said, I think she should marry so-and-so, and and another friend of ours. I think they'd be great together. His name was Tim. And I thought, yeah, that is a good idea. I, I, you know, it's kind of resonated with me. It was just like perfect match. Now, I want you to know, I, we don't normally do this. Just, just, I just want every single person in the room to relax. This is not my ministry. This is not what I normally do. This is, you know, it just was this occasion. And so I rang the father of this young man because he was a good friend of mine. I said, hey, Ken, you know, um, we've got a young lady in our church I think would be perfect for your son. Now, his son was around about 30 years of age by that time. And he said, Peter, my son has had so many disappointments when it comes to young women. He's given up on that scene totally. If it's ever going to happen, she's going to have to ask him out. <laughs> That's very modern, isn't it? So I went back to her and I said, hey, Joanna, you know, we've got a, a good friend of ours and we think he'd be perfect for you. Why don't you just, you know, go on a date? And she said, okay, tell him to give me a call. So I said, well, actually, <laughs> he's had a lot of disappointments and you're going to have to phone him. I have never seen a young woman so indignant in all my life. If it wasn't for the fact that, you know, I had discipled her, trained her and supported her for three years as a missionary, I think she would have killed me right there and then. <laughs> she turned to me and in her lovely Romanian accent, you want me? To phone him? I am a woman. He is a man. You want me to ask him? Over my dead body. <laughs> and so I very shyly slipped a piece of paper towards her with the phone number on. I said, well, I'm just going to leave the paper just in case. And I quickly left the room. That was on a Friday. On a Monday, I went into the office and there she was. And she said, I just want you to know that over the weekend, I stepped over my dead body. <laughs> she gave him a call. They went on a date. They fell in love. They got married. They have two kids. How cool is that? But sometimes in life, you have to do that. Sometimes you take a stand over my dead body. In other words, there's no way you're going to make me do that. And then you go away and you think about it. And the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and says, I'm in this. And your heart begins to soften. You know, Jesus asked a question one time of people. He said, there were, a father had two sons and he asked both of them to go work in the field. 
The first son said, yes, I'll do that for you, Father, and didn't go. The second son said, there's no way I'm doing that for you. Got my own life, my own priorities, no way. And then later on, he repented and went. And Jesus asked this question, who did the will of the Father? Who did the will of the Father? You see, God is never put off by your first reaction. Hello? God is never, and guess what? He's never conned by your first reaction. And so for all of you who find it difficult for Jesus to be preeminent in your life, that's okay. Sometimes you've got to wrestle with that. The, the important thing is that you get there. And for all you think, people who are saying, la di la di la la oh yes, Jesus is preeminent, just be careful. Because it's all about how you actually live. It's all about the choices you make. So my encouragement to us as a group of people, come on, we're right at the beginning of a brand new year, 2018. Why don't we just pray a simple prayer this morning and that's that, Jesus, you're present in my life. But if that's all it is, I, I want you to take me on this journey. And maybe it's too big a jump for Jesus to be preeminent, but why don't you just start making him prominent? Why don't you just stop being ashamed to say, yeah, I go to that church, yeah. Oh, isn't that the church where this happened? Yeah, that's right. But we're doing well. We're moving forward. Jesus Christ is still Lord of the church. We still get visitors every week. We still get people being saved. We're on the journey. Oh, didn't that happen there? Yeah, that's right. That's my church. Because we believe in loving people through thick and thin. We don't believe in walking away. We don't believe in abandoning. We believe in pushing ahead. We believe in inviting Jesus. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in going forward. We believe in the power of God to heal. We believe in the power of God to take us into destiny. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of our church. We're not ashamed of where we're going. Do you get it? And as you start to do that, you know what? It'll be easier to then make Jesus preeminent. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because it is a journey. But dare to say to Jesus, Lord, would you take me on that journey with you? Would you give me the grace? You see, I believe everything God asks us to do, He empowers us to do. Faithful is He who calls you, who also will do it. He empowers you to live for Him. Hey, listen, if you're here this morning and you want to make a transition today. You, you've had an encounter, but you want to explore, you want to engage, you want something this year to change, to shift, either to be Jesus to be more prominent or Jesus to be more preeminent. I'm going to give a call later on. Maybe there's somebody here, Jesus is not yet even present, will give you an opportunity to respond. But if you're already a believer and you know there needs to be a shift this year in your life, in 2018, all I want you to do is stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you. There just needs to be a shift. Stand to your feet right where you are. You won't need, you won't need to come down the front. You know the area is personal to you. It's personal to you. You don't need to tell anybody unless you choose to. You can tell your best friend or your most trusted advisor, whoever it is. You can tell somebody. But right now, this is about you before God who sees your heart. So Father, every single person who's standing here, you know, you know the area of life they're reaching out to you for. You know 
the things that they struggle with. You know the burdens they carry. You know the temptations they face. You know the pressures that they're under. You know the things, Lord, that they wrestle with. You know the areas where there needs to be realignment. And so, Father, my prayer for every single person standing in this room, that there is going to be a measure of grace from heaven. That what you're calling to them to do, they're going to be empowered to do. That there is not going to be a sense of drawing back. We are not those who draw back to perdition. We're those who believe to the saving, to the deliverance, to the transformation of the soul. And so, Father, I'm asking that your hand of goodness would be over every single person in this room. And where people have been disappointed, Father, in the past, Father, I break the power of disappointment from holding us back, from making decisions of faith in the future. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your unfailing love towards us, Lord. And I bless every single person. I bless marriages in this room. I bless businesses in this room. I bless students who are learning. I bless expectant mothers and I I bless those who are trying to be pregnant. I bless, I speak blessing in 2018 that this is going to be a year of growth, a year of acceleration, a year of expansion. Father, I declare it over people's lives today. This is going to be a year of increased influence. What the enemy meant for evil, you're going to work together for good. We're going to pursue you, God. We're going to lay hold of you. We worship you and we thank you. If you're here this morning, you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you did as a child. Maybe you did a long time ago. Maybe you went to a meeting where you responded. But you know that Jesus Christ has not really been prominent in your life. You know that you need to either rededicate your life or you need to say yes for the first time to Jesus. If you're here this morning and that's you, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that is you, would you lift your hand up high let me see it so I can acknowledge it? Lift it up high. You're saying yes to Jesus. You're saying yes to salvation. You're saying yes to Him being present and prominent in your life. That He might be preeminent. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just believe this is going to be a week where your life is going to be impacting different people going to be a week where where at times where in the past you were shy, you were intimidated, you felt like you couldn't speak out. I believe for many in this room, this is going to be a week where you will speak, where you'll surprise yourself. There's going to be an unction that comes upon you and you're going to say something. You won't sound weird either. God is going to give you a grace to say something that's going to impact people's lives this week. And so Father, I pray for that spirit of wisdom and revelation that we know when to keep silent and we know when to speak. And we're not silent when we should be speaking and we're not speaking when we should be silent. Father, let that spirit of wisdom be upon us this week, I pray. I bless every single person in this room. Thank you so much for your goodness, your kindness, and your love towards us in Jesus. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 